Okay, so for everybody that's listening online, everybody who's watching, uh, this is, of course, The State, the podcast where we talk about uh, the state of key issues inside of the church, and today we're going to talk about love. We're down here for Rebecca and Dan's wedding in the hills of Kentucky, but there's no hills around, so I'm not really sure what that's all about. So, so when we uh, when we come down here, we're we're here for a wedding, and weddings are all about love. Everybody knows that. Um, but uh, as of as of late, I've had a lot of conversations with people. And I think you know this uh, from the conversations you and I have had, but a lot of conversations with people uh, about this topic of love and how Christians are seen as loving or maybe seen as not so loving. Yeah. Right? We're, yeah. We're, but in this episode, I want to, I want to really zero in on um, a particular topic and that particular topic, although love is love is a broad topic, and even love God's way is a broad topic, um, I want to talk about loving God's way within the context of the current uh, the current climate of our culture with with regard to um, as Doug Wilson calls it, same sex mirage instead <laughs> of marriage. Um, which is exactly what it is, uh, or which could, of course, venture into a conversation about the very definition of marriage. But um, same-sex mirage, or maybe, um, uh, for me particularly, dealing with uh, how do we as Christians love those family members or those friends that we have that are living a certain lifestyle that we disagree with, but not just that we disagree with, that we, you know, have evidence, clear scriptural evidence yeah. that God disagrees with as well. So I want to kind of zero in on that particular thing that's making okay. sense to just you. Just this right? particular topic. Just this particular topic. Homosexuality. Uh, homosexuality, gender fluidity, right? Okay. Like there's a part of that that when, you, when you're telling people that God has a particular... Um, he has a particular structure in which he has made people. Uh, they, you know, and you hold hard fast to those lines. Mm -hmm. People tend to say, you know, you're being unloving. You're not accepting me. I can't just do whatever it is that I want to do. Uh, so therefore, it's unloving. So all about love in those contexts. I think it comes down to, um, one is the perversion of the definition of love. What is right. love? Also dealing with, the fact that rules, guidelines, boundaries of any kind, um, they seem to be taboo. Yeah, so, and I think you're referring to the idea that in the postmodern context, we seem to be, um, we seem to be uh, resistant towards absolutes, like yeah. absolute standards, absolute things like this. And, and it's interesting to me that... Um, one of the great arguments or great comebacks to people who say there are no absolutes is the response that says, are you absolutely sure of that? <laughs> the very assertion that there are no absolutes is is an absolute assertion. And so it it's actually illogical. It doesn't doesn't make any sense. So so not only are there absolutes, if you jump off the top of a building while on planet Earth, uh, you're you not going to fall down. up. <laughs> right? You're going to fall straight down. 
Um, <clears throat> so, so there are there are absolutes, and one that the Christian would argue is an absolute is the absolute of God's definition of love, right? Like mm-hmm. there, that's an absolute. Although our culture doesn't seem to buy into that either. Love means love means a myriad of things in our culture. Love seems to have adopted this. We've confused love with happiness, joy, um, uh, there's a word I'm trying to think of, just that, that, uh, like, attraction. Lust. To another person, oh, lust. Yeah. Just, um, the, like, the, all of these things that happen maybe as a result of when you feel loved or when you want to show someone else love. You're kind, you're caring towards them, you know, you, you want to go out of your way to serve them, you want to put on your best and impress, but those things are not actually love. Right. They may be so manifestations of it. They're but manifestations. They're... Even, I would even argue that what we call, we call it puppy love. It's actually just um, an infatuation yeah. or, or a brief attraction to something. Maybe it's just because... Somebody that that's a new person. This is a new relationship. There's a mystery here, you know. Yeah. Um, and we jump right into love. And of course, there's the physical side of it. All of the country songs seem to talk about love. I just want to love you. Well, you know what? That's not really right. love. Right. So I think so. in order to move forward first in this conversation, we we probably ought to look at um, two things. One the definitions of love that will be used in the language of Scripture. So we have we have three major forms of love, right? We've got um, <clears throat> we've got agape love, we've got phileo uh, love, and then we've got eros. It's a form of love, and mm-hmm. and those three loves in Scripture are very different, right? So like, let's say we have phileo love, we have a we have a, a love of uh, affection towards one another. Um, uh, we have eros. We have a love of of attraction towards one another. So this is where eros is where we get the terms erotic or something like this. So there's an attraction. There's a there's a lustful component to that. Um, and then we've got agape love, which actually is the love that we see in John three sixteen for for God so agape he he so loved the world that. Uh, he sent his one and only son. So in this, we have a sacrificial love. We have a lay down one's life. We have a move mountains kind of love. Okay, and and it appears that in our culture, we confuse those kinds of love a lot of times. So uh, they're all present. They're all present. They're all good, I believe, um, but they all have their particular place. So we have. We have these particular forms of love. Then, um, when we get to uh, when we get to First Corinthians, when we're talking about love, we have different depictions of love, okay, or different manifestations of love, and this becomes really challenging. So, so we say things like love is not uh, jealous, or love is kind. Love does not brag, like going back and forth what it does, what it doesn't do. Love is not arrogant. 
Um, love doesn't act unbecomingly. It doesn't seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. And of course, that's our anthem. Love never fails. It's the yeah. epic piece of this. Um, so we have these different words used in, in the scripture. And then we have this kind of depiction of love in 1 Corinthians 13 that seems so immensely beautiful to us, at least to us as Christians. So, so now that we've defined those terms, now we start to move into this question of, and this is, this is what I've been dealing with a lot, or this is what I've had uh, many conversations about. Um, we, we move into um, questions like, you know, my relative has decided that they are um, that they are transitioning. They've decided that they're you know uh, they're no longer going to be a boy. They're going to transition to a girl, or they're no longer a girl. They're going to transition to a boy. And then we're supposed to, according to the world's terms, and I think we we know this as Christians too. We're supposed to love even our enemies. And, and pray for those who persecute us. But what happens is that when we begin to love, like 1 Corinthians 13 says to love, um, all of a sudden the first accusation that comes is you're not being loving. Mm-hmm. You're not being loving. So so I'm, I'm dealing with questions like, uh, you know, how do I love the people that are transitioning or, you know, the people that I know that are transitioning or how do I love my, my um, cousin or my sister or my, you know, child who has dis- declared that they're, they're homosexual and they want to get married, you know, and how, how do I love them? Because if I hold to what God says, if I do what I see in 1 Corinthians 13, they're going to accuse me of not loving them. Or they're going to pick out one piece of 1 Corinthians 13 that they believe is the governing love factor, but the other ones need to be pushed away. For example, mm-hmm. love love believes all things. They, they want you to adhere to that one, but they want That's to reject the love. Right, but then they want to reject the one that says love does not celebrate in unrighteousness. Yeah. So, um, so this is the challenge, right? This is the, this is the challenge for most Christians right now. We're supposed to be a loving people. We're facing some pretty confusing issues, uh, including a redefinition of marriage and, and gender fluidity and all this. We're supposed to maintain love. We've got a definition of that love per the scripture, um, but it's not interpreted as love. Thoughts on that? I guess the next question then I would say would probably be what step then would you take if they're obviously choosing to live that lifestyle that obviously aren't following God? Although some claim that they are because the church has even become confused and we've the church has even begun to teach false teachings that Jesus accepted everybody. You know, so we should accept everybody. Um, and, you know, that that could be another subject altogether. But because that message now is being spoken 
those who are in that lifestyle think that they can follow Christ and still live a life of sin right. because now they've been lied to that it's not sin anymore. Right. So, so how then do you breach that subject of enlightening them to the truth <laughs> when they've already been fed a lie and they prefer the lie over the truth? Yeah. So what we're dealing with here is, are several things. We've got, we've got the absolute definition of love, which I believe we find in Scripture. And I think we also find an absolute definition of sin you know, a, a rejection of God's standards, of his ways, of, you know, missing the mark that he has established and set. And then we have the question that says, how do we understand those as absolutes? Uh, and that it, it comes down to whether or not we trust God's written word, what he, what he has spoken to us, what he has given to us. If that is the case, then no matter who the preacher is, no matter who the teacher is, no matter what school of thought you've listened to, the first step is you have to test everything according to the Word of God. You, ha you have to go back. Um, there's, there's clear evidence that we're supposed to honor those who hold positions as elders and teachers, and that's great, and we need we need we need to recapture honor too but that's uh, for another discussion but honor but at the same time in almost every situation in which we have leadership we have leadership that is a steward of of God's ultimate leadership husbands are supposed to uh, they're supposed to lead their families they're supposed to do well by that but they are they are directly under the headship of Christ it you know the scripture says the husband is the head of the wife but we get all high and mighty, ego tripping here, and we forget to realize Christ is the head of man, right? Like, stop for a second. You are a servant to someone. So in every form of leadership, we have this submission to God's word, and even pastors have to submit to God's word. So you may have heard a pastor say, or you may have heard a teacher say that God accepts all things now, um, <clears throat> but you have a responsibility to go back to his yeah, word and to test that and to see what it actually says. It, example being things like, you know, um, Corinthians talks about what uh, many of the Corinthians formerly were, past tense, such as these were, were some of you, meaning um, this is the lifestyle you used to live, but you've changed from that. And one in that list is homosexuality. Uh, another passage in scripture says, these will not inherit the kingdom of God. And it lists a, a bunch, make no mistake, it lists a bunch of sins. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't just zero in on this. So I think the first answer to that question is we have to, we have to admit there's absolutes, there's absolutes in love, there's absolutes in sin. And we find those absolutes through God's word. Otherwise, we're just, otherwise the truth is we're all just making this up as we go. And nobody can be anybody's authority. I agree with you 100%. Yeah. But I would say that even some, because now this lie has infiltrated the church. Of course. There's a lot of scriptures that right. have been. Where they kind of jockey it around. Jerked out of context, twisted of around. And. To someone who is, say, young in their faith, or they just want to hear that, that what they're doing is okay, right. don't worry, you don't need to change, God loves you just the way you are, Right. Um, 
how do you counteract that thought with scripture when they think they're okay because they think because of scripture. the scripture tells them they're okay. Yeah, I think I think this is where I mean not everybody that is proposing that lifestyle obviously. Course, Most course. I would say probably reject God's word. R- right. Reject God. But even there are there are some even that are confused by it because of how it's infiltrated the church yeah. now. And now the church itself is divided yeah. on this issue. I think it starts it starts with understanding another uh, principle of interpretation. And that principle of interpretation says that the whole of God's word is true. So we have to we have to confirm what we're reading. God is immutable. He's unchanging. He's not you know, he wasn't one way in the Old Testament and now he's had a cosmic, you know, makeover of grace. Uh, he was gracious in the Old Testament. He's gracious in the New Testament. He he is justice in the Old Testament. He is, you know, he's going to judge or he does judge in the Old Testament. And we have the entire book of Revelation, which will scare the snot out of you, right? Because of God's judgment. So God's immutable. He doesn't change. And when we put this together, you know, scripture over and over, repetitively over time, consistently and repetitively over time, uh, we start to understand it doesn't really matter that somebody told me God now accepts it. I have to, I have to say the, the whole counsel of God's word keeps pointing me back to the fact that God, God hates sin and he's defined sin. I, I think what is come over this culture today is the, the same uh, if you want to call it a spirit, <laughs> the same spirit, the same attitude that came over the lawyer in Luke 10. And that is we are all seeking to justify ourselves. The lawyer in Luke 10, when when Jesus, you know, uh, confirms that the greatest two commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. He, um, <clears throat> the lawyer, the, the scripture says he seeks to justify himself. And he says, but who's my neighbor? And I think the culture is is uh, governed by an idea today that says, um, how can I justify gender fluidity? How can I justify homosexual activity? How can I how can I justify a redefinition of marriage into a complete mirage? How can I def, def, redefine that? What it is at its heart is a is a, an entire generation seeking to justify themselves. Looking at God and saying, tell me I'm right. When you go to the scripture seeking to find how you're right, this is confirmation bias. We can all do this all day long. Mm-hmm. We can all look for something to confirm our biases. And this is what I believe is governing our you know, particular culture Now, it, as you're describing and explaining that, uh, it has... It's obvious to me now that this is probably why Scripture says in the last days uh, that people will set up false teachers around them that tell them what their itching ears want to hear. Because at the root of it, it's the same as that lawyer that Jesus confronted or that that asked Jesus the question, who is my neighbor? Seeking to justify himself, yeah. so that he wouldn't have to really love the ones he didn't want to love. Right. Um, to set people up around you that tell you what you want to hear is doing the same thing. Right. In that, 
You wanted you want to hear that Jesus loves you just the way you are. You want to hear that it's okay. You can't help it. You right. were born this way, so how could God condemn you right. for something you had no control over? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And at, so, at the same time, twisted. at the same time that that justification is coming, uh, when there's a when there's a rebuttal that says, "What about the pedophile? What about the person who you know who is uh, moved towards bestiality or something like this?" As, as gruesome as these things may be, um, all of a sudden the standards change. You were you were born with a proclivity towards same sex, but but not towards loving children. Well, where so who's your standard? Where do you get to draw that line? I have an unchanging word. It's the word of God. It it continues to hold that standard and says that's wrong and that's wrong and that's wrong. We we know what it is because God has declared it. But the culture that is setting their rules as fast as they can make them. Uh, then find a way where they're contradicting themselves or their their you know open policies towards things uh, come back to bite them. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm reminded of this news article uh, that I recently read where um, California and and most of these progressive states have have passed laws where you know or are looking to be open towards you being able to decide your gender anytime you want. Now you don't have to go to the, you know, go to the court's office or anything like this. Just on a Tuesday, you can decide against biology, against absolutes in this life, against biology. Uh, you can decide today, uh, as a man, I'm a girl because I because I decide this. Okay. Now here's where it's funny how these come back to bite. Okay. So they they pass these policies. They say you can you can make this decision anytime you want. In California, they've got legislation going up now that that will most likely pass that says um, every corporation that is publicly traded must have a woman on their board. Okay, so there's kind of an imposed. That's an absolute. Well, it gets even better. <laughs> it gets even better because their their progressiveness is going to come back and bite them. So check this out. So so um, now you have to have. It's a forced thing. Okay, we've got to promote women. I think that's awesome. If women want to strive for those things, let them strive for those things, right? But now they must be put there. Okay, so sadly they're just a figurehead. If you want to, if you want to yeah. belittle women anymore, anymore, yeah. tell them they're in a position because you you're mandated our, it. You're our token woman. Right. We had to have it, you. We here. had to have you. We don't want you this here. This is brutal. But we, we, are, we have to exactly. have a woman. Exactly. So, so think about this. They have this policy now, but they're also in a progressive state, which means that when that publicly traded company is filled with a board of men, and and somebody throws a fit about it, they can say. Jim over here is identifying as a woman today. We have a woman on our board. I think about the nonsense of this approach to things. It, it's never none of this can fly with them, right? So, so let's get back to love. Gosh. Let's get back to this idea of love. So, so we're operating under the absolutes of God's word. Okay, God's word that says this is what love is, this is what sin is, this is what marriage is, that's not what marriage is, this is what marriage is, this is, gender is a biological construct, it's an absolute, it, you know, it's not a social construct, it's an absolute, uh, the way God designed it, um, and 
All of these things are his particular ways. How do we love people, even if they're non, you know, especially if they're they're uh, non-believers? You, it's hard to go. It's hard to say these things as boldly as you need to say them. But the marker of the New Testament preachers in the Book of Acts was boldness. the The truth is, you cannot be gay and be a Christian. Okay, you can have those attractions and you can and you can wrestle through the temptations of that just like you can wrestle through the temptations of wanting to eat everything in your house every day, right? Gluttony or any of those other things. But you cannot challenge even that, but, you, but you cannot identify as those things. Again, Corinthians, the things which you were Many of you once were these kinds of things. You cannot be that. So it but once the spirit takes of challenge. God comes inside of you, it, the battle's your still real. Change though they do, but just but it's progressive sanctification, which is which is that our desires change over time. Well, here's um, I would liken it more to an addiction than it is to a natural. True I, I have I have to somehow. Uh, do deny who I really am in order to follow Christ. True enough. True enough. Um, when your nature becomes changed, those things that once gave you pleasure are abhorrent to you because they are directly opposed to your yeah. new nature. Yes, a- a- abhorrent in your mind, understanding that they're wrong and that God declares them to be wrong. And I think the Spirit and of God will convict you true, if He truly lives in you. True, but to work those out means. That you're in a constant place of you're tempted, but you're pushing it away, and you've been given the authority, and you've given given the give, been given the power. However, you have to keep vigilant on that fight. Okay, uh, the new nature doesn't. We don't go. I accept Jesus, and all of a sudden, glorified body, poof to heaven. That doesn't mm-hmm. happen, right? This is why the battle of sinless perfection and all those other things is a far more nuanced conversation than can we say no to sin? Of course we can. Are we progressively uh, being made aware of the faults in our character and then transformed and changed over time? Yes. So, you know, there, there's a lot to that. But here's here's the point, though, when we when we talk about this, how do we love? Uh, how do we love these people uh, that are n- not Christian, that are hearing the gospel, but you're telling them also that their lifestyle is unacceptable, or the Christian to take the stance in the world that says homosexuality is wrong, that uh, gender is not fluid. Uh, I've just talked to a medical professional the other day who said uh, the real sticking point to this in the transplant world is that uh, the the real sticking point in the transplant world is that your organs still there are certain things that still communicate gender and so you have to go back to biology you have to go back to biology so anyway there's there's tons of problems with it but how do we communicate love in a culture that believes we're the most unloving people in the world. You know, how do we communicate love? How do we stand firm on that love uh, when they say, no, you're you're wrong, or you're this, or you're that? Well, I, it goes back to when you decide to follow Jesus, you have to first consider, you have to consider the cost. Of course. Of course. Part of that cost is ridicule. Look at Jesus' life. Yeah. He was ridiculed heavily. Uh, he was told that he was 
um, a false teacher. He was uh, blasphemous. Right. He was uh, doing these miracles by the power of the devil. Right. Of course, we know that couldn't be further from the truth. Yeah. And these were his own people, right. supposedly the people who loved his father, who made these accusations. That had to have hurt. Yeah. Uh, he, a prophet is not without honor. Except or, in his hometown. Except in his hometown, yeah. own hometown. And that has to hurt, too knowing that those that are closest to you are probably going to reject you the most. But those are the things that we are called to take into account when we choose to follow Christ. Are you willing to to undergo ridicule? Are you willing to be separated from your family for the sake of God? Yeah, and a conversation I had with somebody just the other day, um, the, the idea of the, the principle of um, paying the cost to follow Jesus yes. is firmly planted in, in this person's mind, and they agree in principle wholeheartedly. But then when they start to ask the question of, what would I do if I were actually in that situation? Right? We, we all live in, a, in America where Christianity is... I mean, the 20th century is the most persecuted century of all time, okay, across the world. Mm. Not in America, right? And so, so we live in America where everything seems like it's just, you know, rainbows and puppies, you know, and everything's good. But, and, and we all have resolved that when we face those problem times, we will we'll sail through it right? We're going to be the strongest ever. But when you start to really think about what would you do if your mom or your dad said, if you continue to hold the stance that you hold against gender fluidity or continue to hold the stance that you hold against this, uh, homosexuality, um, I believe that you're hateful. I believe that you're bigoted. And, and check this scenario. They say, and I then don't believe you're a real Christian. When you face that kind of um, situation it becomes it becomes gut-wrenching you realize that's going to be harder than i'm i'm thinking of peter who says jesus i'll never deny you and then when he's faced with it he's like have no idea who that guy is mm-hmm. right <laughs> right he's like he's like I did. jesus who you know and so the we've got to be honest that we will wrestle with that but your point though is there's a cost to be paid and you've got to you got to pony up, right? So, so there's absolutes, uh, the absolutes of love and sin. They're God's absolutes, not our absolutes. And we have to, in, in order to love, we have to resolve in our heart, we're going to do it God's way, not anybody else's way. Think about this. What are we to do when people say um, that another conversation I had with a friend, they didn't go to their family member's wedding, uh, lots to talk about here. They didn't go to the mirage of a same same-sex couple. Okay, mm-hmm. they the state can say it's marriage all they want. The world can say it's marriage all they want. God says marriage is between one man and one woman, which means what you're doing is a is a knockoff. It is a it's a it's a perversion. It's a perversion, or it's you know it's the a pitiful 
imitation of it. And so, you know, I believe that Doug Wilson's got it right when he calls it same-sex mirage. But the, the point is, is that uh, they refuse to go to this wedding because 1 Corinthians 13 says they will not celebrate in unrighteousness. This is like the story of the cake baker and all these other people who refuse to sell their products and services to you know, gays and lesbians and these different things. Um, they refuse to celebrate because going to a wedding is a celebration. That's what the point of a wedding is. Yes. And so to go to a wedding and say, uh, I'm going to celebrate, what are you celebrating? The person, you could do that on a Tuesday and just say, "I just want you to know that I love you," um, but I'm going to love you. The, I'm going to love you God's way. Uh, but when you go to the marriage, you're celebrating the, what it's what it represents, correct? So, uh, so they refused to do this, and they were told by their family, and they were told by uh, those who are Christians in their family that what they were doing was unloving by not going by not going. It was unloving. Jesus uh, ate with tax collectors and sinners. That's the, that's the first passage that's taken so out of context, right? It's like, well, Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners, so therefore uh, you, you're, you're not being like Jesus because you didn't go and eat with. What's funny about that ridicule is that in the ridicule of the Christian, they're admitting they're a sinner and a tax collector. <laughs> Right? They just don't see that. They go, well, Jesus ate with sinners. The first response for most Christians should be, did you just admit that you're sinning? And if you admit that you're sinning, why are you going about it? Why do you keep going with it? So it's a, it's a really self-defeating argument that they're making. Do you remember making. the uh, story um, when Jesus was in... I don't remember if it names the Pharisee. Simon? Simon's house, a Pharisee. Anyway, he goes to have dinner, and a disreputable woman comes in and begins to anoint his feet, and she began to cry and washed his feet with her tears, and then she dried his feet with her hair, bowed down at his feet in the most humble position. And they were indignant that he would let this woman touch him. Right. And they, he, knowing their thoughts, because he knew that they were thinking, if, if he knew who this was... Yeah, he wouldn't touch her. That he would not allow this. Yeah. And he addressed them and corrected them right. because her very act showed her repentance. Yes. And... He didn't, he didn't raise her up by the hand and say, look at me. I love you just the way you are. And right. give her a big hug and say, right, right. now go. Be as you were. <laughs> no, he looked at her. He said, your sins are forgiven. Don't sin anymore. Right. There was a reason that he interacted with tax collectors and sinners. Right. It was to bring them new life. Right. He didn't just eat with them to hang out and celebrate their treachery. Yeah, the people miss the, um, the, the historical narrative that's going on in this day where these people were outcasts. These people were 
the don't touch them, they have sinner cooties, you know, and, and only us, you know, the, the Pharisee, the Sadducee, the, the scribe and the lawyer and all those, only, only we have this thing right. And Jesus, when he comes, is viewed to, you know, come uh, and take the throne of David, and he's supposed to smite all the enemies. He's going to be warrior king, and everything's going to be good. And all of a sudden, you have a suffering servant who doesn't suffer. Um, he doesn't suffer uh, on a cross, bleeding and dying, to, to, to declare to the world. He, he doesn't suffer on a cross, bleeding and dying, for the sins of the world, to then declare to the world, Go and keep on sinning. I enjoy dying for you. Like there, there's none of that is there. So, so we use all these passages out of context, and we say, you know, this is what loving is. Um, but I think we, but I know uh, that we've that the world has missed the point. They they view it as uh, as love when it's not actually love. And so the picture that I I shared with you earlier. Um, was, well, what would you say, you know, what four coins would I have to bring to a bank teller? Drop on the counter. Uh, what four coins would I have to bring, an absolute, what four coins would I have to bring to the bank teller uh, for them to give me the request for a $1 bill in return? What four, four coins? Quarters. You'd have to bring four quarters. The culture wants to bring four pennies, right to the to the counter and say here's my four pennies i want a dollar and the bank teller is viewed as judgmental and unloving because they say that's four pennies not four quarters and the culture says i've defined them as as quarters and i the say bank, they're worth 25 right. cents and they're saying and the no, bank teller says one yeah the bank teller says no they're defined as pennies yes. and that know. bank teller would be fired in a heartbeat if she said no, I don't want to hurt your feelings. So, right. okay, here you go. Right, right. And so and so this is the problem for, you know, if, if, if you're a teacher in the Christian church or you're a representative of Christ in the Christian church and you so misrepresent it to just accept what God has called unrighteous, you know, evil, uh, but you, you don't, well, woe to you. There's a problem here, okay? But back to the, the bank teller situation, um, the, the culture comes up and says, here's my four pennies, I want a dollar. Our response to them, they come up and they say, here's my marriage, I'm a man and I'm married to another man, uh, here, uh, here is my gender, it's what I choose to heck with biology, I want a certificate that says that I am, and we as Christians Bank tellers for the no. kingdom of God, our response in perfect love is to say, you're not giving me four quarters. You're giving me four pennies, and you're wanting something that's not there. So I'm telling you the truth, and it's perceived as unloving. Mm -hmm. the, the challenge that we're facing is that, um, I think we faced it throughout time, is that God sets a standard and man is going to pervert it. Man is going to reject it. We do our best to stand in the gap as Christians. We state the truth knowing what the cost is, right? We state the truth knowing what the cost is. And then if the culture refuses to believe what God says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. 
right? In, in the end, we, we were promised that we would face persecution for this kind of thing and hardship for this kind of thing. Uh, and it might even come from those we love the most. We love the most. Which I think, makes it hard. Right. I think one of the most loving things to do is to state the case, to stand firm on God's word, but I don't believe the loving thing to do is to be so belligerent about it as to hope they feel your wrath now. God is in control of these things, right? I mean, depending on what your view of the millennia is, you know, you're probably going to to view whether the world gets better or worse. But um, regardless of that, uh, even for seasons and periods in time, we see the ebbs and flows of culture. It gets better for a period of time. It tanks for a period of time. Mm-hmm. Um, in those points when it was at its lowest point, did the Christians there just kind of say, well, I guess, you know, I guess uh, this, is, this is all she wrote. There's no point in trying. Uh, we should stop loving because these people have rejected us. No, they rested in God. Some of them rested in God to the point of paying for their paying with their lives in the lowest points of human history. But love is a hard thing because God defined love. God says a dollar equals four quarters. The culture says, I got four pennies and I want a dollar. I'm defining it as love. And as Christians, we're the bank teller. As Christians, we look at it and we say, four pennies do not a dollar make. I'm sorry, it doesn't, it, you can, we can argue here till we're blue in the face, but it's not what you say it is. Um, so therefore, I think the last thing that we have to do in loving people, we have to believe in absolutes. We have to believe that God's absolutes are those absolutes, that God has given us absolutes in love and in sin. He's also given Christians what we're supposed to stand for in this culture. But in the end, God is judge. Like God, God is in control and he will right the wrongs and he will punish the wicked. And he, through mercy and grace, will saves those who surrender, who, who they don't, they don't work for it. They don't earn their salvation. They don't pay God back later through Christian duties and works, although they are to be obedient. But he saves those who say, uh, your son is my only ticket to righteousness. Your, your son is it. We have to rest in the final judgment of other people. We have to rest that, that God will do what is right. God will do what is good. Um, I think of Noah in this context, right? Noah is building a, a boat. Yeah. People are, you know, they're ridiculing him. He's a crazy lunatic. He's doing everything wrong. Finally, Noah, at some point, he has to get on the boat. He has to let God shut him in, and he has to sail off as the world drowns. And do we want that to happen? I don't want anybody to drown. No. I don't. I don't want the destruction. I don't believe the Lord does either, because it's His desire that none should perish. Right. So the the point is, He's given us this awesome message as Christians to proclaim. He's also given people good news that if they will repent, they can come back. Those things are loving. Those things are loving. The world will never interpret it that way. The world will mm-hmm. never see a call to repentance as loving. They'll say, wow, you're being judgmental. He is the God of the universe. 
He has every right to say uh, that that is sinful, and you... He's the one who's made the standard. Right. And if, if there's not... Okay, so in America, the standard that the whole country goes by, that all of our laws are created according to, right. is our Constitution. Right. The Founding Fathers drew it up, and they said, this is how we want our country to be governed. And all the laws follow under that. But the Constitution is what... We've got this governance. It it is the supreme... um, Appeal for us. uh, Yeah. So, there's been attempts to even change the definition and, and the interpretation of the Constitution. Of course. Which because means at its, its very, very core is nature. pure rebellion. Yeah. Which... Yeah. Rebellion is what got Satan kicked out of heaven. <laughs> and I'll just leave it at that. Right. And this is the issue, that we're, we're running up against this. It's human nature to, you know, have an authority and resist the authority because we're fallen. We... But that's an absolute people don't want to agree with either, right? So back, back though to love. I think love being this, this, you know, supreme ethic over all things, you know, a greater way that Paul talks about, a more excellent way, right? To love, this is such a, an important thing, but it is not just a blank check to anybody wanting to live any way they want, whatever and it is it is the most loving thing for us if we believe what this book says if we believe the message of our lord it is the most loving thing we can do to address people and say god has called us to a righteous standard we have all have fallen short of that that standard right all have sinned all have fallen short of god um the wages of the that sin is death Right, we, we're every one of us. It's, it's not the homosexual, but not the Christian who also struggles with X. It yeah. is, it is anybody who is just, uh, you know, willfully going down that road. Uh, we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. And our only, the only salvation that we have is Jesus Christ, who through mercy offers salvation to those who will surrender, who will repent and believe, right? Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. And this is all connected to, by grace we've been saved through faith. Faith without works is dead. So, so we repent and we bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That message is equal for all of us. It doesn't matter where you found yourself. It doesn't matter how far down the rabbit hole you feel you've gone. The, the message of grace, the message of the gospel is the same for each and every one of us. Um, and even that message is viewed as a stumbling block to some and a rock of offense to others. So, so we, we get it, right? That even that loving message is going to be unloving. Why would we ever think taking a stance on what marriage is really defined as would, would ever be any uh, harder or any easier? Uh, uh, you know, it, it, it's not going to be. No. any easier so so this is a, we really shouldn't be surprised no we shouldn't we were told what was going to happen uh we're also should keep in mind while they might reject us personally because we carry that message right ultimately they're god rejecting, told moses 
They're not actually rejecting you. They're rejecting you. Yeah, yeah. It's his message we carry. Yeah. They might reject the messenger because the messenger agrees with the message. Yeah. That That is a cost that has to be paid. Right, right. And I would say that for those following Christ wholeheartedly, when you encounter you these things, it doesn't feel good. And I wish I had better news, but it is a cost you have to be willing to pay. Yeah. Of course... It's not hopeless because we still appeal to the Lord in prayer for the souls of those people who are lost and deceived and they they can't tell which way is up. They think they do. They have a form of knowledge and enlightenment and they feel that they know so much. Um, And it probably sounds very self-righteous when we say, I'll pray for you. Because... They want to just say, keep your stupid prayers. I don't want them. But they don't even realize what they're saying when they say that. Maybe maybe it's a conversation for another time, but um, uh, we've got to be careful that um, when God says to declare his word uh, and when God says to pray, those are different commands, and we do them as they're needed. We can't use prayer as the declaration of the gospel and we shouldn't use the declaration of the gospel when we need to be interceding in prayer right i if you could interchange the things we don't ever have to go declare the gospel all we should do is just pray for the world we don't just pray for the world there's a message that we declare and we need to get out and declare that message there's a righteous standard we're supposed to uphold it, the scripture doesn't say uh doesn't say i said stand firm but don't really stand firm all i really meant was pray about it right <laughs> like we should pray but standing firm is standing firm and preaching the gospel is preaching the gospel and and holding uh, fellow christians accountable is holding fellow christians accountable praying is praying right you make sure we understand those roles in their proper perspective. So when we boil this down, love is a complicated thing. Mm -hmm. Love is a complicated thing. It's an absolute, just like sin is an absolute. God's the one who defined it. But the humble approach, the non-self-righteous approach, is to come at love, the love according to the scripture, and say, God, help me to understand how what you say is absolute love right after all his ways are higher than our ways his thoughts are higher than our thoughts not just a small distance as high as the heavens are above the earth it's 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 a unbelievable thing so in the end love's a complicated thing it is an absolute just like sin is it's god's definition the most humble approach to love would be for us to come to the table with God, with fellow, with Christ, with other Christians, the world to come to the table and say, I'm not so sure how you view this as love, but if what you say is true, then I want to understand how it's love. And then the Christian's responsibility is to communicate love in, in as, as nuanced, as, as uh, glorious a way as we can no matter how much time it takes, right? We, we shouldn't hope to just communicate love in a three-second gospel presentation. We should say, hey, to my friend who's, you know, who's dealing with same-sex attraction or to my friend who's, who's thinking about transitioning, we should be willing to say, let's sit down for coffee. 
I want, I want to share with you not only what God's Word says love is, but why it's love and have a real conversation with you about this. I'm not here to just preach at you. Uh, I'm here to, although I want to do that, I think there's a declaration that needs to be made, but I also want to discuss this with you because I want to reason with you. Paul did this with the, you know, the Jews and different people. You know, he's doing this in the Areopagus. He's reasoning with people. So I think that's the approach we have to take to love. Um, and so when our family members reject us and say, you're the one being unloving, our response should not be, well, booger off, right? That's not a great Christian response well, either. No. I, think the, I think the response should be, um, can, we, can we have dinner? Can we break bread? Can we have coffee? And can we talk about this? Um, and discuss why this is what it is. And what if they say, no, I don't want to talk to you yeah. about it. In that point, the, 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 the peace of God's people says, I'm going to continue to state my case when you ask or when you seek my counsel, but God is in control. You know, justice is, you know, justice is mine. Justice is God's, Is that the same mine. thing as dusting your feet off and walking away when the message is rejected? In some ways, I think that that I think that has been uh, wrongly interpreted as a careless, uh, you know, like, like I no well, longer care fine, for you. I don't care about you. Right. I don't think that was the point. I think the point was after they have fiercely rejected you, then move on with the mission. Keep keep moving forward. Okay. Now, it is a dusting off as get... a sign of judgment to them, but it's not. Christians even take this too far where we go like, well, go to hell. You know, like, how is that healthy? No. <laughs> right? Like, this is not, you, all you're doing is provoking people to just be mad at you twice as hard next time. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So there's a lot of nuances to this, but it's a conversation that all of us are having. We're going to have this conversation, especially when it comes to same-sex mirage and, and gender fluidity and all these other things. We're going to have the same conversation more and more as the days drag on. Uh, so we can't think, well, this too shall pass. This is the way of sinful humanity. We have to be ready for those conversations and not uh, not ready in a, in a fight your way out of it mentality. You won't, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said, no one ever came to Christ because they lost the argument. It's not about trying to win the argument. It's about trying to show them the love of Jesus, genuine love of Jesus, not the world's perverted version of love, genuine love of Jesus, four quarters for a dollar. It's showing them that kind of love and seeing them um, hopefully opinion, respond. truth is loving. It is, and truth can be used as a battering ram. So there, there is not just truth, which is love, which you would agree, you just stated, but there's also... Um, speak the truth in love. That's a command of Scripture. So you, truth is loving, but we've been given a command on how to deliver truth. Speak the truth in love. Speak the truth the way God defines love, and that is vital. So uh, I love this conversation. Love intentionally uh, using love. that word, but don't no. Uh, maybe maybe we use love too flippantly, and that's why it's lost its definition. But. Uh, I, I've enjoyed the conversation, and it's by far not the last one we're going to have on this kind of subject. Um, but I guess I would just state to anybody listening that's struggling with 
same-sex attraction um, in a homosexual relationship or somebody who's you know contemplating transitioning and all these other things I think the challenge that I would issue to them is um, is let's go back to the Word of God let's go back to what he says and if you want to have a conversation about it um, send us an email piercepointchurch at gmail.com or um, piercepointchurch at gmail.com or, um, or you know, come to church and let's have this conversation because I think it's people's lives are too serious to say, hey, here, I made a YouTube video about it. Submit to what I think. Yeah. Um, here, I made a YouTube video about it. I'm inviting you to a conversation and a journey about what God actually says. And I believe that is probably the most, uh, that's the most loving approach that I know to take at this point. And it isn't very helpful either just to point at people and say you're wrong. Right. Yeah. Because as my fourth grade teacher said, for every, you know, when you point at somebody, there's three fingers pointing back at you, right? So you're like, oh, not fun. So thank you for joining me. If you guys have enjoyed this uh, conversation or even if you didn't enjoy the conversation and you would like to challenge it um, first, I'd ask that you would subscribe. <laughs> so whether you love it or hate it, subscribe. Uh, click that bell icon on YouTube. That way you'll get notifications if you're on Apple iTunes or uh, we're going to work it out to get on Google Play here soon, as well as SoundCloud, which is where everything is hosted uh, for the podcast. We encourage you to subscribe on those pieces. Um, uh, but if you didn't like that and you want to comment in the comment section below, I don't want to turn off comments even though they get uh, brutal at some points on some channels. Uh, I believe that uh, dialogue and conversation is the best way forward. So um, I want to encourage you to be uh, joining us on this. So this has been The State. Thanks for joining us.